Trojan fans. It's time for another installment of the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast. We give you the inside scoop on everything about USC football recruiting from the experts who know what they're talking about. Which players have an offer, which ones don't, who the coaches like, and who our experts like. And now, here are your co-hosts for the Trojan Blast Recruiting Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher Ryan Abraham and uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Hello to Roger fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, either late Monday to early Tuesday. We're just doing so many podcasts, it's hard to keep track. But we're going to talk some USC football recruiting. People have been asking for this recruiting podcast with our buddy Gerard Martinez at GMart Live. Follow him on Twitter. does a great job covering USC recruiting for uscfootball.com. So we're going to pick his brain about what it means that Steve Sarkeesian was fired 18 games in his tenure. People are worried about recruiting. The sky is falling. All this stuff is going on. So we're going to talk to Gerard Martinez about all that. If you have any questions for the show, email us at podcast at uscfootball.com or you can leave us a voicemail 641-715-3900 extension 816-646. Of course, you can go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail there too, or go to iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast if you want to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Lots of different ways to get a hold of us, lots of different ways to consume the show. Hope you guys are enjoying it. It's been a crazy 20, maybe 36 hours or so, Gerard, since the, the news of Steve Sarkeesian not showing up at practice. I was, I tweeted that out, I guess, maybe 36 hours ago. Um, it's been a little nuts. I don't know how things have been with you. Uh, it's, it's a normal USC beat. I mean, you know, what, 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 you're, you're thinking this is crazy. This is, uh, every couple months for us, there's something bombastic happening. So <laughs> unexpected that uh, Steve Sarkeesian has been fired 18 games into his tenure. Yes. Um, but it is USC and these things have happened pretty much since, uh, the departure of Pete Carroll. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you know, even under Pete Carroll, there were some things that happened here and there that were interesting. And, you know, it, it seems like, you know, maybe it's just Los Angeles. Maybe it's just the uh, entertainment industry. I don't know what it is, but it seems like the university reflects, um, the place that it's centered in. And, uh, certainly, I mean, this is, uh, it, it's been wild, but, um, it's one of those things where I think I've kind of become desensitized a little bit to it. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. It's just, it's just weird that every few months or so there is a drop everything, change your life. This is going on at USC kind of thing going on. And, you know, we've had two of them in the last, you know, 30 hours or whatever it was, um, you know, with the, uh, you know, indefinite, suspension or whatever you want to call it and then you know the actual uh firing it's been nuts but we we're kind of used to this and i you know people ask me a lot i'm like you know the players are kind of used to it too so this is a team that's equipped to kind of deal with off the field distraction distractions on the field because they've had to deal with it so much we're kind of used to the fire drill drop everything cover this what's going on run down campus tv trucks everywhere we're kind of used to it but i think the players are used to it too Exactly, and that's kind of the funny thing. I mean, we talk about recruiting, and USC actually has a coach on the staff that has recruited under these same conditions at the same school, and that's T. Martin. Uh, he was an assistant coach under Lane Kiffin, and, you know, when Ed Erdron took over as the interim coach, you know, T. Martin was there, and he was recruiting. And then you had, uh, you know, Clay Helton have to take over when Ed Erdron left for the bowl game in that dead period, and you didn't. You had Steve Sarkeesian kind of in the background and, and 
you know, sort of involved with recruiting to some extent, uh, and T. Martin had to take over with that overlap there. And now you have this situation where Steve Sarkeesian is gone, and we're waiting to see who the new head coach is going to be, and T. Martin there is recruiting again for USC. And so uh, from that standpoint, yeah, you, you kind of sort of learn, and it feels like it was yesterday. I mean, that's the really weird thing. It feels like USC was in this position yesterday, and I'm questioning whether they're going to offer kids without a head coach on staff and take commitments without a coach on staff. And, you know, back then when Ed Erdron was the interim coach, they offered kids, a lot of kids, and they took some scholarship offers uh, away from some kids, and they took some commitments in. And that was really the big question, you know, would the administration be comfortable with taking commitments uh, when, you know, the new head coach may come in and all of a sudden now he's got to break promises and say, hey, I'm sorry, you know, the last head coach liked you, uh, but we're going in a different direction. And we saw, you know, several kids uh, end up uh, sort of getting cut from the class because, you know, Steve Sarkeesian and the coaching staff just, they weren't as high in them as Ed Erdron was. So it becomes a very complicated, sticky situation, but it's certainly a situation that at this point, uh, USC's administration and T. Martin knows very well. Yeah, and and I think the situation is similar, but it's very different too. And so the the point of this podcast, we do want to talk about the impact on USC recruiting uh, with this kind of coaching change, or with the you know firing of the head coach. And we wanted to pick Gerard's brain. I got a lot of questions about it on Twitter. I got questions when I'm on different radio shows. People think that, you know, a lot of UCLA fans like really almost like hopeful, like oh USC is just going to fall apart. And it's just it, in my opinion, it's really not the way that works. We'll we'll get into kind of all that stuff, but back then when Ed Orgeron was the interim head coach, he was known as this dynamic recruiter, um, this gregarious guy. He had been a you know a head coach before, and it seemed like he was someone that you could see taking the authority to to make offers or take offers away. I don't get the same kind of sense with Clay Helton, and also with the kind of up in the air status really of the USC athletic department right now because of some of the really poor decisions you could argue have been made over the past couple of years. I'm not sure if they would even have the direction to say, Hey, you shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that. My gut Gerard is that it's really almost kind of like a bunch of independent contractors out there. As far as the assistant coaches go, they've all been kind of recruiting their position. And I think it's kind of keep going that way where they're out recruiting USC, they're not recruiting to a head coach or Steve Sarkeesian or whoever. They're kind of recruiting to them. They're recruiting to the school and kind of seeing where it goes from there. That's actually a great point. I think uh, this is probably the downfall of recruiting by position, at least for the school. Um, if you've got uh, you know coaches out there and they're recruiting their area, uh, there's really maybe less of a connection. There's more overlap with more coaches. Um, you're going to have the position coach and the area coach both kind of in on the recruit. And so, you know, you kind of got a maybe, you know, more of a chance that one of those coaches is retained and you still have contact with that recruit. Well, in this particular case, if you've got uh, the coaches that are basically recruiting just their position. If you're getting rid of that coach, then that position right there, uh, <laughs> you basically lost all contact in, in a relationship with that recruit that's at that position. So um, that's going to be a dynamic that is, A, different from the first time because they recruited by area under Ed Ergeron and Lane Kiffin. Um, and I think also, you know, you, you talk about Ergeron just as sort of a, a galvanizing figure, um, you know, sort of that, you know, figurehead for USC differently than obviously Clay Helton. I think a lot of fans really don't know who Clay Helton is. They're really not sure, like, who is this guy? Where is he from? 
you know, what's his background. With Ed Ergeron, he was such a character that, you know, everybody sort of uh, endeared it to him and, and, and really, I think, felt like a connection to him. And it was probably easier for him to sort of be that guy out in front and offer kids and to take commitments and, uh, you know, sort of ride on the reputation, hey, I'm a great recruiter, and uh, just, you know, don't worry about it. You know, we're going to get it done, and I'll end up being the head coach here. Um, and I think certainly things are less settled at this point. Um, I think there's probably more questions in terms of, you know, the direction of the program. And like you said, that goes not just with the coaching staff, but that goes up to the top. And like I've said time and time again, you know, uncertainty can be a killer for recruiting. Um, really, the farther away you get from the university's backyard, the more impact it has. And so you're talking about guys that are back east and in the south. Right now, USC's off the radar. Uh, they're 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 really not looking at USC. They're, they're, they've got their minds in other schools that are going to be recruiting them harder. And really for USC, it's time to kind of focus in a little more on their backyard and, and make sure that they, you know, hang on to the guys that uh, they're in good standing with and keep the, the communication lines open. I think that's the one thing that's, that's very important that, you know, you see, um, a mixed bag in that, in that regard with the terms of the communication. You know, I mean, I called, several committed recruits and, and talk to them and, and just wanted to get sort of their response as to, you know, what's going on at USC and, um, you know, if it was affecting their recruitment. And really the questions that they had going forward without Steve Sarkeesian being the head coach. And one of those kids, uh, Nathan Smith, a 6'7", 280-pound uh, offensive tackle from uh, uh, Mesa uh, Murrieta High School, didn't even hear about the news. I had to break it to him. And, and that's what I hate about these kind of things because I'm not in the information giving business. I'm in the information gathering business. And so, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, with everything going on with Steve Sarkeesian, I uh, just want to kind of get your thoughts uh, on, on the news and kind of, you know, what questions you had going forward. And he had no idea what I was talking about. And, you know, he was on his way going out to Black Angus for dinner. And so I said, well, I said, uh, you know, you haven't been on Twitter today? And he said, uh, no, I don't really do that. And so I said, well, I mean, yeah, it sounds like uh, Steve Sarkeesian at that point had taken a leave of absence. And so, you know, I'm calling, you know, various commits and recruits just to kind of see, uh, you know, what, what their opinions are. And so, you know, he obviously didn't have an opinion. He hadn't talked to the coaching staff. That's one of those things where you kind of question why, why isn't, hasn't he be, hasn't he been already contacted? There needs to be, you know, that communication from the coaching staff, um, giving these kids as much answers as they can get. And obviously, you know, the coaching staff's in a difficult position, too, because they don't have a lot of answers to give. Um, so it's just mainly a, a one of those things where you just, hey, there's somebody there to pick up the phone and say, hey, you know what, we're just going to see what happens, hang in there, um, and, you know, give me a call anytime. And, you know, if i got more information, I'll share it with you type of thing. Well, the – what the questions I usually get, Gerard, is they're kind of like the sky's falling. Oh, I can't believe this is going on. Uh, Dalen Hayes decommitted and, you know, they, they think that the, every recruit that ever was wanted to go to USC is just going to leave and go away. And obviously that's not the case with the out of state kids. It's, it's certainly a lot more difficult. The Dalen Hayes one's really interesting because he's already signed financial aid paperwork. So maybe we kind of, maybe we can start with him and kind of share your thoughts on what's going on there. Yeah, Dalen Hayes uh, put out a tweet uh, basically saying, you know, I I'm, was committed to USC, um, but uh, my parents have decided that uh, it'd be my best interest to go ahead and decommit. And um, it, it is interesting, as you said, he was a guy that was supposed to be a December graduate. The real interesting scoopy thing about him is the shoulder injury, and we've kind of touched basis on that a little bit. Um, but I'll speak on it a little more. 
you know, Dalen Hayes, the chances of him playing this season are, are very, very minimal. Um, he's had this shoulder injury, and, and I think it's basically a recurring shoulder injury. He actually hurt it first his sophomore year, only played five games that season. He hurt it again last season when he was playing for St. Bonaventure. I think he only played two, maybe three games that season. And, you know, when he was out, the talk was, oh, he's sick. And, you know, I talked with him, and I kind of got the impression, ah, he doesn't seem sick to me. And I got some other info from some other opposing coaches uh, that had, uh, you know, evidently talked to some of the college coaches that were recruiting him, and they talked about his, his shoulder being a chronic injury. And so that was the first I'd actually heard of it. I know he was hurt during the sophomore year, but really didn't hear a whole much about the details of it being a chronic shoulder injury. And so this season he goes and he hurts his shoulder again, and he was out and he flew out here to go see a specialist and talked about it. And, you know, I think USC was in a position where he was a highly touted recruit and they were committed to him and they offered him. And I think they felt like it was going to, you know, really be bad PR to turn around and say, well, you know, you got hurt and this is not binding, so go find another school. And, you know, quickly after he came to his unofficial visit to USC, he signed his early uh, enrollee paperwork and was basically on the verge of canceling all his visits. You know, he was still kind of sort of debating about going to Notre Dame for an official visit, uh, actually when USC came to town, which was this week. Um, but he was really sort of kind of, nah, I don't know if that's really going to happen. And obviously, you know, just the word comes out that uh, Steve Sarkeesian is no longer head coach, and boom, he decommits quickly. So it goes to show you, you know, I mean, the, the, the paperwork uh, is obviously non-binding for those early enrollees. It's just financial aid paperwork, but it does bind the university to those recruits. And so uh, it, it's a little bit of a one-way street, and USC has gotten burned by this. But at the same time, it's one of those things that, you know, if PR wasn't a factor in it, you know, would USC have said, uh, you know, maybe we need to back off this offer and maybe we need to look elsewhere? Um, you know, those shoulder injuries can be damaging. You know, I remember Joe McGuire way back in the day from Servite, offensive lineman, and it did, never played at USC just because of his shoulders. So it's one of those things that, you know what, it's tough. If Dalen Hayes is healthy, and I hope he is healthy. I hope he has a great college career uh, and, and doesn't have any more uh, issues with the shoulders. Uh, he's, he's a fantastic player. I mean, he's a guy that you definitely want in your program, and he fits what USC wants to do defensively very well. Uh, but obviously if the injuries become a factor in his career, uh, USC trying to get back to that 85 number and stay at it, uh, you know, they need some guys that are healthy. And uh, just to let people know, uh, it's non-binding when they sign that financial aid paperwork, and there is a risk that the university takes by announcing that. So USC announced that Dalen Hayes had signed now, if he doesn't end up enrolling at USC in January, he enrolls somewhere else. Technically, it's an NCAA violation. So USC will have to call the NCAA or fax or whatever they do nowadays. I don't probably don't email them, but they have to inform the NCAA that there was that violation. What I've been told from my sources is likely it's no, there's, there's nothing that's going to happen. It's just something you need to self report. Um, if you did know, you know, in the news, there was stuff about LSU had a similar kind of thing, but they had much harder punishment. Um, last year, and that's mostly because there's a rule in the SEC that I think stemmed from something Auburn had done when they announced somebody and he ended, and ended up not signing. So the SEC has their own kind of rule, and that's what LSU had broken. There's no rule like that uh, in the Pac-12. So from what I've heard, it's really not sanctions or anything like that that would come of this, but you know there is some sort of risk, and it's something that USC will have to tell the NCAA that they had this violation while they announced a player and he d- announced the signing of a player and he did not enroll if he ends up not enrolling. If that makes sense, Gerard. That makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. I, I have nothing to add to that. You, 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 that was a great summation of uh, basically, you know, that rule and 
Um, unless the Pac-12 decides to change, you know, <laughs> rules all retroactive the rule change for USC. Yeah, um, you have to you have to become an expert in all the sanction and all the compliance yeah. stuff. I think I could be a compliance officer. I tweeted today, Gerard, they should hire me as a USC athletic director. I'm like, I could do that job. Come on. I, I mean, the problem is, though, with the compliance, uh, with the rules, is that they change so often that, yeah, you could be, you know, that guy today, but then, you know, next two years, it's, you know, all these rules change. So, yeah. you know, blue shirts, I mean, blue shirts didn't exist <laughs> just, you know, five years ago. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, blue shirts are like the hot thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I don't actually envy those guys just because the rules change so often and, and they're convoluted and they, a, lot, a lot of times they don't make any sense. Yeah. And so, and just so you know, like the, the, the main football compliance guy, uh, ended up going to take the head compliance job at Arizona. And then the guy that took over for him left, I think a week or so ago to go to Rutgers. So Arizona, that's fine. You're going to Rutgers. That thing is a dumpster fire. So you're going to have a lot to do over there as far as compliance goes. Um, but of course, you know, here at USC, there's, there's plenty of work to be done by the compliance officers figuring out what kind of what's going on. Um, so a little bit crazy. Um, that's Dalen Hayes, but that's really the only kind of de, the decommitment de that you've seen. Any other sort of like initial fallout? I know there was a, you know, one player said he wasn't going to take, or a couple players, they weren't going to take official visits. Any other kind of fallout from, from this so far? That's going to be the fallout. I mean, that's going to be, it's the out of state guys. Isaac, uh, not to, uh, was the, the five star, or I think he's actually just a four star in scout, but he's number one tight end in the nation and a, and a tremendous player. And a guy that was going to officially visit USC, uh, really he was going to come in for the UCLA game. Then he said maybe he's going to come in for the Arizona game. Um, and now has canceled his visit. So he's going to go to Alabama instead. Um, you know, a guy that if he still has a visit left, and USC makes, you know, a, a splash hire, he could end up back visiting USC. I mean, he's a guy that really wants to see LA. I think personality-wise, you know, kind of has that, uh, that, that kind of gregarious personality that, uh, I don't think he'd be shying away from LA. You know, some of those kids in the South, they're a little, you know, they kind of come off the plane and they see, you know, all those buildings and they see all those people and they kind of freak out a little bit. Isaac's not one of those guys. So, uh, yeah, initially, you know, he's like, okay, this uncertainty. I don't know who the coach is going to be. I don't have time to sit around and wait. I've got, you know, 50 other schools that have offered me. I'm going to go look at these schools and, and not really worry about USC. Uh, so it's one of those things that, you know, if, 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 if it fits in the window and he's still open and he's still got a visit, I wouldn't be shocked if he still officially visited USC. Um, but there's some other guys that USC is going to sort of, sort of lose contact with. And, um, again, it's going to have a lot to do with the coaches that are retained. If coaches are retained on the current staff, uh, the relationship that new coaches coming in have with recruits, because that's the other thing you're going to open up, you know, a whole new door to maybe different regions that USC is not even recruiting right now, dependent on who the other coaches uh, that the head coach wants to hire and bring in. Um, is it an NFL guy? You know, then that, you know, you bring in some NFL coaches and then you go, well, you don't have any relationships with any guys. Uh, but if you bring in another college coach, he's going to bring in a bunch of college coaches that are assistants and they're obviously going to have a lot of relationships in different regions. So it's going to be one of those things that, um, it, it's just going to depend on a, the coaches, the communication. And I, I think again, it, depending on the timeline, because if it's really late in the process that, uh, you know, USC's not able to get a lot of in-home visits, and we don't anticipate that, but you just never know how these things go, um, that's really going to be the big thing. How many guys are going to bring in in January and get those in-home visits in for the kids that are farther 
out of state. You know, the kids that are local can always come on campus unofficially. They can meet the new head coach. That's not a problem. But when you're, you know, an out-of-state guy and you're in Texas or you're in Louisiana or you're in Florida or you're in Ohio, uh, there's just not that ability to just come fly out on your own dime. So you got to have those official visits. Those official visit dates have to be open. And then you have to have the in-home visits. Now, the head coach has one in-home visit. The assistant coaches have, I think, at least six in-home visits unless the, the rule has changed. And so that's going to be another thing. You know, again, the relationships with the assistants that are retained on the staff and the relationship with the assistants that come in that are new, um, that's going to be a dynamic that uh, has to come all together uh, really in, in early December, and then it's going to really be a lot of January. That's where you're going to see a lot of change and, uh, you know, guys that are committed right now does that coaching staff feel like those guys can contribute with the scheme and the philosophy that they have that they're going to install? And and then the other guys that they want, you know, that are still out there that, you know, have offers and, and, and have liked USC and have interest in USC, and now you have to sort of make that relationship work in a shorter amount of time. And so, you know, the farther away you are, the more certainty a kid has about going across the country into a situation that, uh, you know, he, he's just not comfortable with. So that's, that's where you see the biggest impact with the guys back east. We're just going to see, uh, again, you know, the new coaches that come in. Mikel Roby is a good example of a guy that had a great relationship with the staff at Tennessee when Lane Kiffin and Monty Kiffin were at Tennessee. And he had a really good relationship with Willie Matt Garza, the defensive back coach. So that was a guy that wasn't anywhere on USC's radar. He was one of those guys that Tennessee kind of had tucked away in Florida. The Florida schools weren't really after him very much. And he was committed to Tennessee. And when that staff came to USC, it was like, hey, you know what? I just have a really good relationship with that staff. I like Monty Kiffin. I like Willie Mac Garza. I'm going to go to USC and check it out. And really, you know, it was really the whole relationship that was built up with those coaches at Tennessee. It wasn't the coaches at USC that they had built up the relationship. So that's very, very important. I mean, he got to take that official visit to see USC. But, man, I mean, that was basically the first time and the only time he got to see USC before he actually committed and turned around and decommitted from Tennessee. So that's going to be, you know, how we have to see how things shake out when these new coaches come in and what relationships they have with kids that they're recruiting in various places, guys that, like I said, may not even be on the radar for USC right now. So I want to talk about the uh, committed players and who you think, uh, if there's any kind of risk guys, if most people are locks. For USC, this class, and you know, this is a kind of interesting thing I never really thought about with the blue shirts, uh, Gerard, but USC signed five blue shirts uh, that are now on the team. Two of them have actually played in games already, and they're not going to count until the class of 2016. Um, now, that's a way that a coach can kind of, you're borrowing against future, you know, future recruits, basically, but that limits this, you know, new recruiting class for 2016 to only 20 players. You could argue, well, maybe it's better because there's, you know, fewer guys that could decommit. But for whoever the new head coach is, it's not even like, you know, the, you don't even get a full class because the previous coach took some of your, you know, potential signees, uh, essentially because, you know, five guys came in and, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, I thought it was a good plan. You want to bring people in now to get the numbers back up, but it's a smaller class. Um, so maybe talk about the impact on the next coach because it is a smaller class in the blue shirts and then who you think. Uh, of the committed guys are, are likely to stay or anyone that would be likely to decommit. Yeah, that's something that uh, he does inherit and really has no control over. Uh, you're not going to uh, cut, you know, guys that are on scholarship because they were blue shirts and they were not guys that were recruited or picked uh, by that staff. Um, certainly, 
the numbers are a little lower than they normally would be. We're talking about 21, 22 instead of the actual 25. Uh, but it's not a huge deal. I mean, it's not where USC was when they were, you know, getting 16 guys, uh, 18 guys with a bunch of early enrollees counted in. So I think that's really not so much of a concern. Uh, I think really more than anything, the talent that's on the team right now is, is really kind of a – it's enticing to a lot of coaches. I think there's very few schools that do have the young talent that USC has because – you know, the truth of the matter is Steve Sarkeesian, that coaching staff, have recruited their butts off the past two years. And Lane Kiffin didn't do a terrible job recruiting either. Obviously, they were under sanctions. So it's just a matter of trying to get those numbers bolstered back up to that 85 and trying to build some depth. And I think more than anything, the coach that comes in, they got to develop the talent. That's the main key. you got to develop the talent that you have. You look what Jim Harbaugh has done at Michigan. He's come in, and there's a lot of no-name guys there that that are doing really well, that are contributing, and and they're helping them win football games. And that's what a good coaching staff does. You saw it with Pete Carroll. You saw guys, uh, you know, like Champ Simmons, Champ Simmons, and and you know Kareem Kelly, who couldn't catch a pass. We knew Kareem Kelly was talented. We saw him at Long Beach Poly running past people. He was a track guy, but he couldn't catch the ball under Paul Hackett. Lo and behold, Pete Carroll comes in with Norm Chano, and the next thing you know, hey, he's catching the ball. He's all of a sudden a deep threat. So McCullough, there's a lot of guys like that that all of a sudden you see with the with the coaching staff that were guys that you know you 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 had expectations for but just didn't do anything. All of a sudden the light seems to go on for them. So that's really what the new coaching staff has to do. Um, from the point of oh we you know have a little less uh, room to bring in a full 25 class. I don't think that's so much of a big deal unless you see a ton of transfers. That could be where there's a little bit of a step back for USC. Sometimes coaches want to come in and sort of weed out guys. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things, look at I'm instilling this culture, this philosophy. We need to go in a different direction because obviously the direction that you've been headed has not won you enough football games. That's why I'm here. And so you have a little bit of a clash of personalities. And with USC, obviously they're not, you know, at that 85 yet. So it's a little harder to do. See Sarkeesian, you know, obviously had to come in and he couldn't rub a bunch of guys the wrong way and say, hey, if you don't like it, transfer because he didn't have enough bodies <laughs> to do that. So, you know, this coach is going to have a little more leeway with that, but still it's going to be one of those things that I think for USC, uh, their the depth is not quite what they would want it to be at. And so uh, it, it might be one of those things where there might be um, a, a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of um, – uh, let's just say walking softly a little bit, maybe in the first year or so with a new coach. And um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's just sort of the, the situation USC is in. Um, then with uh, as far as the non-committed guys, the, the recruits, we talked about the out-of-state thing being a little bit more challenging. Um, local guys, I think there's some really interesting uh, you know, prospects out there. Anyone you think is going to have a big impact uh, by this, or how do you think locally uh, it's going to impact USC in the recruiting? You know, I mean, there's the potential. Uh, obviously, you know, UCLA could could win the Pac-12 and and have some momentum and maybe steal a couple guys. I mean, Mike Wars is a guy that we've talked about ad nauseum, being a very soft commitment and a guy that you know is looking at UCLA and other schools, and so that's a guy that certainly he's been pretty quiet about this whole. Um, you know, situation with C. Sarkeesian, both on his leave of absence and even the news of him being fired. Uh, I think with, um, you know, we talked about the out-of-state guys, and that's probably the biggest deal. I, I think the core group of USC, the commits that are in this class, are, are going to 
be pretty solid with USC unless, like I said, schematically you bring in a coach that just doesn't fit, you know, what these kids do in terms of their position and how they play. Um, you know, Matt Fink is coming into a situation where USC sort of kind of playing around with maybe running a little more read option. You could bring in a guy that's a pro-style guy that doesn't want a quarterback that uh, that runs. And, and if you take that away from Matt Fink, then obviously you've got a different prospect there. And so, I mean, that could be a situation. But if you're bringing in a college coach, and most of these colleges nowadays are running some, you know, variation of a read option, uh, Matt Fink fits maybe even more in with the with that offense than he does with this offense. Um, I think that's kind of sort of how it goes. Maybe there might be some trimming in terms of how many guys they take at certain positions. You know, USC right now has, uh, you know, five guys that are committed that all can play wide receiver. Maybe the new coach comes in and says, you know what, we're not going to play five receivers. I want another running back or I want another offensive lineman. And so there might be some movement there. I mean, obviously with Velas Jones, that's a guy that's, you know, out of Saraland, Alabama, a guy that has been another soft commit for a while, looking at Florida. Florida's having a really good year. I could see him decommitting and going to Florida very easily. Uh, but, you know, guys like Tyler Vaughns, he's a real USC fan, and he's really just kind of seeing how everything's going. And he's, you know, if USC makes a solid hire, he's going to end up at USC. Same with Trevon Sidney. I think Michael Pittman still wants to go to USC if they make a good hire. Uh, Kerry Angeline, I think that's maybe a little more question. Again, we're talking about an out-of-state guy, 6'7", 240-pound tight end out of Exton, Pennsylvania. I uh, spoke with his dad actually earlier tonight. They're really in wait-and-see mode. Um, you know, that's a, that's, a, that's a really interesting position because tight ends in a lot of college offenses – are sort of being phased out. So they want to know, hey, you know, you bring in a coach, how is he going to use the tight end? You know, how much are they going to use the tight end? Uh, are they going to run two tight end sets? You know, what's going to be the, the schematic advantage for him to continue to go to USC? And obviously I'm, I'm already hearing the USC fans kind of laughing to themselves going, well, what the hell was Steve Sarkeesian doing with the tight ends this year or last year? I mean, <laughs> it was like they had Bryce Dixon, but it wasn't like he was like the key part of the offense. And this year they haven't really thrown it to the offense. But if you have a guy like Kerry Angeline, I think you do throw the ball to him more. USC right now, it's kind of patchwork, the tight end position. You know, you've got a couple freshmen. You've got some walk-on guys that have turned into scholarship guys. Um, a guy like Angelina, I think you can throw the ball to and become more of a featured guy. So, you know, he's just kind of waiting, seeing, still committed, but just kind of want to see how things go and, and really, you know, if they bring in a coach that wants to actually use the tight end within their offense. And so that's kind of sort of where we are right now. It, there's not a ton of change with the guys being committed um, it's going to be one of those things, you know, the, the out-of-state guys are going to be a little less uh, committed and, and looking around more, and they're going to have more pressure to look around more. Keyshawn Camp, the defensive tackle from Lakeland, he's a guy that visited Michigan already. He's going to visit a couple other schools, probably Alabama. Talked about visiting Oregon. That might not happen anymore. But he's going to get a lot of pressure from down south to go to one of those southern schools. And if Chris Wilson, the defensive line coach at USC, is not retained, and you bring in a guy that doesn't know Keyshawn Camp, well, guess what? All of a sudden, Keyshawn Camp becomes a much more difficult guy to retain as a commitment. And so that's going to be really how it goes down the line. Now, you want to talk about the uncommitted guys? They're kind of in the same mold. And I think there's some guys that are uncommitted that I would say are still part of that core group of guys that are really solid, want to go to SC, have loved SC all along, and are you know they just want to make sure things are not going to be crazy they're going to bring in some coach that everybody hates or they're going to bring in some coach that they just don't get along with uh, a guy like jack jones 
I think Jack Jones still, if I had to put money on it, I think if USC makes the right hire, he ends up at USC. I think Lamar Jackson ends up at USC if USC makes the right hire. Uh, I think there's a couple guys like that that are out there that are not committed that are really high on USC and are just sort of waiting to see what happens, go through the recruiting process. They're not going to make any kind of early decisions. And if it's a, if it's a good hire, they're in. If it's a great hire, then, you know, they're in as well. And then there's other guys locally and nationally that maybe start to take interest. A guy like Jim Harbaugh, when Michigan made that hire, obviously it piqued the interest of a lot of kids. There's a lot of kids that were being recruited by USC that all of a sudden were like, hmm, Michigan, that wasn't really a school I was thinking about. I think I want to go see Michigan now. So we'll see. It, it depends on the hire and the assistant coaches that are hired with that head coach. Um. The, the head coaching decision is a big one, obviously. And I got a lot of fans kind of tweeting me that, who can we get so, uh, USC won't lose any visitors? And it, it just seems like people are worried about if maybe you hire the right guy that would save this recruit or that recruit. It just seems kind of silly to me, Gerard. Um, but, you know, people forget that it's, it's kind of a crazy time right now. You're not likely going to hear about USC's next head coach for a couple of months. Um, so it's kind of a weird, like limbo time, but what do you say to the fans that are kind of worried about, well, which, which coach can come in and save this recruit? He's my favorite guy. First and foremost, like I said before, player development at a school like USC is first and foremost. And I look at, I'm a recruiting analyst. I, I write recruiting. I could sit here and try to make recruiting out to be bigger than it is. And, and oh, it's so important. And, and look at you know my job is so important because oh, recruiting is so important. But the truth of the matter is, you gotta coach these guys when they get on campus. That is the most important thing. And so, like I said, the guys that are at USC right now, they've got a lot of really good young talent, and it's just sort of wayward right now. You know, obviously with Sarkeesian gone, they're gonna keep running the same offense. They're gonna keep running the same defense. But there's just going to be sort of a, uh, you know, are we, are we really, who are we playing for? You know, what, what's kind of the end game for us? Are we being coached, you know, to be great? Or are these coaches just kind of coaching until the next thing comes up? And so it's a big question. But if you develop the talent, USC is going to get the recruits. It's, you know, everybody talks about it. It's one of those schools, those handful of schools that sort of recruits itself. You've got the talent base in Los Angeles and Southern California and California in general. You've got, the Weber, you've got the entertainment industry, you've got all the accoutrements that come with that, you have the, the big city, uh, you have all the conveniences that come with that, uh, and you've got, you know, an alumni base and a fan base that has got a lot of tradition behind it, a lot of prestige, and they want to see a winner, and they want to see USC not just be good, not just beat UCLA, not just beat Notre Dame, but they want to win national championships with an S. That's what they want. So you're talking about, you know, the, the striving for excellence. People want to be a part of that. So that's why it recruits itself. That's why you can get kids and you can be a national recruiting program. Um, now, can you hire a, a, a coach that is a bad recruiter and it hurts their ability to go out and get those elite guys? Yeah. But you know what? Even if they hired a guy, and let's say, and I don't want to, you know, throw Chris Peterson under the bus and say he's a bad recruiter. He's not been a very dynamic, out in front, a guy that a lot of kids are talking about in the recruiting process the last two years. Now, it's just not been a guy like, oh, yeah, Washington because of Coach Peterson. That isn't happening. You know, some of the assistants up there are doing a good job, but 
I think even Washington fans have been a little underwhelmed by the recruiting prowess of Chris Peterson. And in Washington, that does have an impact because you're trying to get these kids from L.A. to come up. But you know what? If they win and they beat USC, they're going to get some kids. And if you do that at USC and you win and you beat everybody, you're going to get a lot of kids. So that that really, again, like you're saying, people are going, oh, you know, who can we hire? How do we, you know, keep Mikay Warriors? How do we, you know what? That's that's so superficial right now. You know, there's Mikay Warriors next year and the year after and the year after that. There are those generational recruits, and there are those guys like, oh, my gosh. But I don't know if there's anybody really in this class that's that guy. There, I don't know if I see, oh, that's just Reggie Bush or this is, you know, that kind of guy. I think USC is going to be okay. And they may be able, like I said, on the boards just today, people were talking about this. They could improve upon the class that they were going to have with Steve Sarkeesian. On the road, they were going to have, let's say, uh, they win eight games, nine games. And, you know, they don't lose to Washington, but they don't beat, you know, other teams. It's kind of eh, kind of a wash. It ends up being like last year. Well, they're going to get their core group of guys, but it's not going to be like last year. It's not going to be the class they had last year, A, because they can't sell as many scholarship spots. Because you're coming back from, you know, only having 50 guys that are scholarship players. What, you know, the coaching staff sold last year was, hey, dude, you're going to come in here and start right away. All those linebackers, they're like, man, you guys could all play right away. And they have played right away because USC doesn't have the bodies. Well, now you've got that freshman class there. And you've got that full class of, what is it, 26 guys or whatever it ended up being. So now there's not quite as many open spots right away. So it starts to, you know, it starts to even out a little bit. That becomes less of a sales pitch. Now you got to start pitching, hey, we're great coaches and we're going to go win championships and you want to be a part of this thing. And going forward, as USC gets farther and farther away from sanctions, that's going to have to be more of the, the dialogue with the recruits is what, what, what direction is this program going in? And they want to be with a program on the rise. They want to be at USC with another type of Pete Carroll-type dynasty. That's what all these local kids are all looking for. They all talk about Reggie and Liner and those games and those years. And they're like, man, man, we want to turn it around. We want to do this. And all those kids that already committed last year and the year before, 2015 class, 2014 class, guys like Akili Ross, that's what they wanted when they came to USC. So right now those guys are heartbroken because it's, it's not happening. But – there might be a light at the end of the tunnel with a new coaching staff that comes in and is able to get the most out of those players and develop them and, you know, get them to the promised land, as they say. Uh, Gerard, there's great stuff. We haven't done a recruiting podcast for a while. We had to do one because of all this coaching fiasco stuff. Before we let you go, was there anything else you kind of wanted to add to the discussion? I, I apologize to everyone. We weren't able to get to questions and stuff. A lot of the questions are kind of, uh, out of date now because of this, all this news that's been going on. So we'll, we'll, we'll try to get you on again soon and we can get more recruiting questions coming in. But anything you kind of wanted to add to this discussion while USC is looking for their next head coach and really trying to, really USC is trying to win their first game with interim head coach, uh, Clay Helton at, at playing Notre Dame. Yeah, it's, it's tough because there's a ton of things to add and, and, you know, the different variables they're going to, uh, affect this from a recruiting standpoint. I think the main thing is obviously going to be the assistant coaches, guys like Keith Hayward, uh, guys like T. Martin that, you know, have, have done an incredible job recruiting over the past couple of years and have established themselves, you know, just not with local recruits, but have done some interesting things even out of state. I think, um, you know, who's retained on the staff, if anybody's retained on the staff, that's going to obviously that overlap will sort of determine 
how comfortable the kids that are committed, and not just the committed guys, but guys like Jack Jones that are not committed but still looking at USC, still want to have that relationship with USC, and then schematically what happens. You know, they they come in and they bring in a, a totally different scheme. Let's say, okay, for, you know, just for argument's sake, Chip Kelly comes in. You know, obviously that's a different scheme that USC is using. USC is obviously sort of trying to go that way, and I think Steve Sarkeesian had the right idea in terms of what he wanted to do. He wanted to sort of bring together pro-style concepts in the passing game with a college running game, with that sort of spread run game that is still physical, and you attack the line of scrimmage with, you know, strong backs, uh, but you do it in a way that is sort of, you know, optiony, and you use the hash marks, and you do the things you can do in the college game that uh, will get you killed in the NFL, which Chip Kelly is learning this year. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, it, 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 it's not totally different, but if a guy like Kelly comes in, he's going to have a real running quarterback. I mean, he's not going to mess around and go, well, we can sort of get by with Max Brown. Or the, no, 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 no. You, you're going to have a guy that's going to be athletic quarterback. So all of a sudden the dynamic changes with the receivers and the type of running backs you want and the type of lineman you want. I, I mean, I think Oregon, very different type of lineman. And, and then defensively, you know, how does that go? Who's the defensive coordinator in that um, example of, of, you know, Chip Kelly coming in? That sort of changes everything, too. Front seven, are they playing a 34? Are they playing a one-gap? Are they playing a two-gap? You know, we talked about this a lot just on the board because a lot of people are frustrated with Justin Wilcox and the defense and then playing more of a two-gap defense, which is, for the defensive linemen, uh, kind of a passive defense. They're taking up two gaps. Their responsibility is to play over the man, in the four technique in this case, if you're a defensive end, and you're basically taking the man on, the offensive lineman, and you've got to know left and right, both gaps, you have to basically take them on. So you're not just shooting a gap. And, you know, a lot of people in, in just with, you know, the, the, the philosophy of things and, you know, who you recruit feel like the guys at USC recruits, the, athlete, the athletes that they recruit are better off in a one gap because they are faster type guys, pass rushing type players. That's the type of players you get in California, and they can shoot that one gap. And that was what, you know, made Pete Carroll's defenses so good uh, is that they were guys that dis- were disruptive and got in the opposite backfield. That's not really this defense. That's not really what this defense The linebackers are really the guys that are going to be shooting into the line of scrimmage and trying to make plays in the opposite backfield more than the defensive linemen. So, Again, if you bring in a guy that's going to run a 4-3, you know, they've got two years there where they've been recruiting for a 3-4, things are going to change a little bit. And so that's really going to be the dynamic. That's going to be the interesting thing that we kind of just wait and see what happens. Um, but until then, it's just going to be really kind of holding steady. You know, it's going to be USC just trying to kind of maintain relationships with guys that got – they're going to have the assistant coaches that are, you know, in a difficult position because they just don't know – who's going to come in and who might be the guy and what kind of offense does he want to run and, hey, does he need a coach that, you know, coaches a 3-4? Does he want, you know, a running backs coach that, you know, coached in the spread? Maybe he wants to get a guy that's more of a pro-style guy. Maybe he wants to get a guy that uh, is a receiver's coach because they want to run an air raid offense. All that stuff is going to impact recruiting, and we're just going to have to wait and see how it shakes out. All right. Well, great stuff, Gerard. Uh, I think I'm all out of words. I don't – and I – before we go, I wanted to say something. I've done so many radio interviews and and podcasts and stuff. It's when we're talking about substance abuse, and uh, you know, I, I've had it close by for me before. Um, you know, I've, I've done a bunch of reading on it. This is more of a human thing than anything else. And you know, you wish the very best for Steve Sarkeesian that he's able to get healthy. I know Yogi Roth and some other people are reporting that he is actually in a treatment center, or he's he's now out there seeking treatment. And so, you know, you wish the best for him. 
it's really that something could, you know, potentially save his life. Talk about Steve Sarkeesian and, you know, really wants to make things right for him and his family. And that's really the first way, you know, the first step to trying to get better. So um, I'm not sure if we're going to hear from him for a while, but just wanted to, you know, wish him the very best as far as recovery goes. There's all the football talk and people kind of not, you know, not happy with losses and things like that. And there's the human side of it. I just wanted to, I don't know if we got to talk about it in the beginning because I've been done so many of these, uh, but I just wanted to kind of get that out there and, and get your thoughts on it too, Gerard. I think it's very, very important. And, and for the fans, I think you got to stop and take a minute and put yourself in Steve Sarkeesian's shoes right now. And think about the weight of the world that is on you and just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, the guy, I can't, I just can't, it's hard to even imagine that. I think that's the thing is that it's very easy to be a fan and just kind of say things and just, Hey, you know, whatever it's football. And, you know, it's, it's, you kind of get detached and, and don't realize these are guys with families and, and, you know, he, you know, he has his mom and he's got, you know, his kids there and, you know, he's fallen far, very, very, very fast. And it's, it's, it's going to take a lot for him to kind of get straightened out. And, and really it's one of those things, like you said, it's, it's, uh, it's the health issue first and then mentally being able to kind of cope and, and kind of figure out where you are and, and, uh, and be able to deal with that. So, I think, you know, like a lot of people said early on when it started kind of unraveling, you know, it was really sad. And all we can do is just hope for the best for him. Steve Sarkeesian is a really good guy. And that's the thing is that, you know, he, he, he the players liked him. Um, you know, he was hired because I think the administration really liked him. He's got a great personality. He's a guy that is an assistant coach and an offensive coordinator. You know, there were countless fans that had gone to uh, the the – uh, Monday quarterback meetings and he would come in and he would talk and, and I got a lot of people to say, man, you know, Steve Sarkeesian one day, I think that guy's going to be a good head coach. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, obviously he just got off track a little bit here and, uh, it took him down far and it took him fast. And so, um, yeah, you got to have to take a, take a step back and just re- kind of remember the, the, the aspect of this. It is a real person and going through really hard things and, Man, I just I can't imagine kind of being in that situation where you know you're the head coach of a, a football program like USC and you're making four million dollars and and it's just all this attention on you and it's just kind of you know it, it's been stripped from you and obviously it's been stripped you know for actions that he did and you know he has to be accountable for that but at the same time doesn't mean you can't empathize with them. Yeah, I mean it. I I really feel it's a disease and um, it's unfortunate that it seems like people kind of around him. Uh, we're enablers more than anything. Um, I mean, the good, it's, it's unfortunate the way it happened. It's good that he's now, you know, from reports getting treatment and that's really, uh, you know, be on the road to recovery and that's all you can ask for. So, uh, we, we wish him and his family the best. We'll keep talking about what the impact of, uh, Steve Sarkeesian not being there as part of the program with the team. We haven't really even talked about the games coming up. We're mostly talking about every, all the status, but, um, Tuesday morning, USC will be back at practice. So I'll be out there kind of checking things out. And, uh, Gerard will be back on the boards and, and calling recruits and stuff. So we got you covered on uscfootball.com. All this crazy stuff's going on. And, uh, I think we'll leave it at that, Gerard. We'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll see you guys on the turnstile and, uh, probably, uh, pretty soon we'll, we'll start some chats up. Like I said, there's going to be a lot of wait and see with USC. I mean, maybe they do. Uh, what, uh, they did with the coach Ergeron and, and they start offering kids and taking commitments wildly. Um, but, uh, like Ryan sort of said, maybe different little situation in terms of, uh, 
you know, Clay Helton and, and kind of waiting and seeing what goes on. And to be honest with you, I feel like that's probably more fair. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to add off here, uh, I was not in favor of USC taking commitments with Ed Erdron as coach. I just felt like it wasn't fair to those kids seeing that another head coach could come in, a guy like Shea Fields, and say, yeah, well, we just, you know, you don't fit our system. And then all of a sudden he asks to decommit or, you know, basically be, you know, told, hey, go elsewhere. And even for the new head coach, it puts them in a bad situation because they come in and they've got to, you know, tell a kid, hey, I'm sorry. I know promises have been made to you, but uh, you're not our guy. We've got somebody else that we've been recruiting from another school and we want to bring him in there. So I, I think from an administration standpoint, I honestly, I was surprised last time that somebody didn't kind of step in and say, look, you can offer and, and talk to talk and do all that kind of stuff. And that's recruiting. I mean, scholarship offers don't mean a lot anymore. It's just loving a kid up. But when you start taking commitments, then you start, you know, making bonds and doing things. And sometimes I think that um, that can do more harm than good. So we'll see how it all shakes out. We'll, like, There's two ways it could go. You know, it could go like it did with uh, Coach Ergeron as an interim coach. Or it could go, you know, a little more kind of laid back and say, okay, we're going to wait and see just in general, uh, also from the recruiting standpoint, who the coach is going to be and, and let him make those decisions when he's named as a new head coach. You can follow him on Twitter at GMart Live. Does a great job covering USC football recruiting for us over at uscfootball.com. We're very lucky to have him. Thanks, Gerard, for coming on the show. And everyone else, thank you so much for listening to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll probably do some more. I think we're going to have one with Dan Weber coming up again as well. Maybe no more emergency podcasts, hopefully. We already had two of those in like a couple of days. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show, the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 